the sunbeams falling softly through the branches of the two large cedar trees behind you feels just divine. They lightly warm your cheeks just as the cool breeze of autumn wafts by, gently coaxing you back into your body, an awareness befalling you after a brief moment of warmth and bliss. You smell the decaying leaves piled at every turn, every corner, every gravestone, new or old, crumbling or polished. You breathe in deeply allowing the cold air to renew you from the inside out. You are so at peace here in this place. You lean back on good old John Wilson's headstone just like you have many, many times before and listen to the silence of this place out of time. The sounds of the busy city street mere footsteps away is hushed as if some magical barrier rests between you and them. An abrupt interruption, a crow, lands on the headstone directly in front of you. Locking eyes with the dark creature for a moment longer than you'd ever desired, you jump back as it releases a great and tremendous call. Why are you so jumpy? Another call, another jump, and you notice that dark clouds have passed over the sun leaving you in shadow. And the breeze that was once crisp now has a distinct chill. Shuddering, you assess your surrounding once more, looking for signs of something amiss and going on nothing but intuition, pressed by the feeling of the still staring crow's dark and beady eyes, daring to see what you do next. As you look around at this quiet and lovely place you've been time and time before, you know the moss, the birds, the crunchy gravel path through the gate. The gate! The gate! That must be it! Leaving your coat and journal in a frenzy, you nearly crash into the crow and its deathly perch as you bolt for the gate, running faster and faster and faster still. As you run, the sky grows darker. You feel more eyes on your back and more eyes still. You try and reach in your pocket as you run, desperately willing yourself to find that gold gleaming penny you brought with you to leave for the guardian of the gate. The penny you forgot to leave for the guardian of the gate. That's it. You've got it. The penny. Yes. But hold on. When did this cemetery get so big? How far away is the gate? It can't be much farther. Is it this way or is it that way? Wait a minute. You stop running and try to gain your bearings. A soft and floaty feeling has begun to creep into your brain right alongside a floaty mist. Moss, stone, and leaves get buried in the sea of mist and fog, leaving only the very tips of the tallest and oldest gravestones to be seen. You can't see your feet now, the fog is so thick, but you still have that penny. The penny! The gate! Where is the gate? Where are you? What were you doing? The sky is darker and darker and darker still, and out of that darkness, more crows. They land on the very tips of the tallest gravestones, and even through the mist, their eyes shine together. I have the penny, you yell as fog traces up your legs and makes its way to your neck, encircling your decolletage with what should have been 
gentle and feathery fog, but that feels more like a pair of hands squeezing and choking the very air out of your lungs. Coughing and wheezing, you get out one more, I have the penny, but it is barely a whisper drowned out by the wave of calls coming from the droves of blackbirds all around you. All you see is wings, feathers, mist as the crows abandon their posts and begin to encircle you and the misty specter demanding your last breath be theirs. Gasping, you fall right onto the gate, the gate. You fall onto your knees and place the penny in one of the stone basins that rests at either side of the gate and take in the deepest and most satisfying breath you have ever breathed. Just as quickly as they came, the crows fly back into the dark sky, taking those dark clouds with them. The fog rolls backwards to its unholy lair, leaving you shaken, cold, still trying to fill your lungs with as much crisp autumn air as possible. Once again, you feel the sunbeams warming the freckles on your cheeks, and the giant cedars lend their cheery scent to your nose once more, as if to say, it's over now. You still feel the ghost of those misty fingers on your neck, the ice forming in your lungs, and you know you will remember this day forever. For now you know what happens when you walk through the gates of death and forget to pay the price. Hey y'all, and welcome back to Beyond the Balefire episode 3. Thank you so much for being here with me again. And if you are new, welcome, welcome. My name is Wish. Happy spooky season. Happy full moon in Aries, my sign. <laughs> and I hope you guys are having a good day. I hope you guys are having a good full moon day. The moon went full around 10.30 a.m. And I have been feeling it. Maybe because it's in my sign, but it's just super extra strong full moon energy today. So whatever that means for you, I hope it is really wonderful. And just just welcome back. Thank you for being here. I have a really special episode for you guys today in celebration and participation of spooky season. We are going to be talking about graveyard magic and folklore today. Woo! And this was all sparked because this weekend, this past weekend, I went and had a wonderful, spooky, witchy, creative collaboration photography session with a group of friends. And it was so epic and so fun. We got some really, really awesome shots. Um, I was hanging out with the ladies of From Gaia's Hearth an online witch shop. I will link that below if you want to check them out. They do a bunch of cool things like teas and spell candles, spell jars, all kinds of cool witchy things. So definitely check them out. They'll be in the show notes. But I was hanging out with them and we all got dressed up in our absolute amazing witchiest outfits. We all looked so flippin' fantastic and we went to a graveyard and took some epic photos and I cannot wait to share them on socials. But before we went, they collected some coins and put them in a jar to take with us. And when we got there, I asked, what are the coins for? 
and they told me that they were to pay the guardian of the cemetery and to leave on gravestones, which I had never heard of before. And I realized that I actually didn't know very much about cemetery superstitions and decided to remedy that. And oh boy, did I find some interesting things and I cannot wait to share them with you guys. I am not reading off of a script today, so if this podcasting style bothers you and it, you would rather hear like more scripted, put together stuff, feel free to DM me on Instagram, which will be linked in the show notes, and just tell me your thoughts on today's episode, the style of it, and the delivery of it if you so desire. I'm definitely open to feedback and want to be delivering this information in the best and cohesive way possible. But we have a really fun episode, really spooky season episode today. Let's just jump right into it. So, back in the day, they were really particular about the orientation of graves, like how the body actually went into the ground. And they would usually put the head to the west and the feet to the east. And this is because they would want the person to face the sun for the final judgment. The sun being uh, deified as this light bringing energy or in some cases associated with the seat of the gods. But either way, there was a large belief that the body should face west to east to face the sun for the final judgment. And this actually predates Christianity. It died out around the 19th century as cemeteries grew larger and diseases and things like that and people being placed, uh, more people being placed on in cemetery plots uh, together, like larger cemeteries moving away from small family cemeteries and town cemeteries to more like cemeteries for like a whole county or things like that, um, that kind of idea, that kind of pushed that superstition out of practice for practicality reasons. Next, I found out that graves should never be left open overnight lest another death befall the mourning family, which is kind of unfair, but at the same time, I guess I can see why you would leave a grave open overnight. Not with a coffin in it, but like if you dig it out the day before. And I guess practically I can see where the another death befalling the family comes in. If you have a family graveyard uh, behind your house or something, and you dig it out the night before, and somebody falls in and gets really hurt, that could be a serious problem. You would think that you would just communicate it to your loved ones and those in your area, but who knows, you know? I I can see it. I can see it. Another one that I have actually never heard of before, but I guess is kind of everywhere, is holding your breath as you drive through a cemetery for good luck. Or, alternatively, tucking your thumbs into your pockets as you walk by to protect you and your loved ones from death. In some places I saw that this was 
to protect specifically your parents from death, which is interesting to me, that distinction, but yeah, those are two things that are pretty widespread, but I had never heard of before. Pretty weird. I can't believe I had never heard of these superstitions, and I didn't know more about cemetery folklore and things. I spend so much time in cemeteries, y'all. I, since I was a teenager, have just found them to be really peaceful, and especially in bigger cities, older cemeteries tend to have really lovely landscaping and be really well-maintained, and it's just almost like a park, but a park that has dead people in it. (laughs) And I just always found them really cool, but it's really interesting that I don't know too much about this side of the spooky folklore and this was really fun so let's get back into it next one is you wear black to make yourself less visible to spirits which i found to be absolutely fascinating that's where this superstition and practice is where uh mourning in black comes from actually like this is the where it all originated from So, mourning periods vary all over the world uh, from as little as, you know, three weeks to as much as three years in some places. It just depends on where you're at. But, wearing black in those places that wear black, because not all countries wear black for mourning, um, but those ones that do are wearing black to make yourself less visible to spirits because the belief is that... The more you stand out, the more that spirits will want to attach onto you because the belief was that spirits want to remain in our world as much as possible. And I just think that is so interesting. And the family would wear black for the whole mourning period because the idea was if the spirit of the deceased loved one came back to the house came back to your house, you would not want them to attach on to you when they came back to their home. And I just find that really, really interesting. And the procession, speaking of spirits finding their way back to their home, when a loved one would die in their home and they would be taken from their home to Um, the funeral home, or as was more often the case, uh, from, in antiquity anyways, from the home to the graveyard or cemetery, you would make the procession from the home to the graveyard as long and twisty and turny as possible. And you see this uh, most primarily like in your face in New Orleans. And in New Orleans, they have a huge, great parade and the celebration of this person with a brass band and all kinds of different wonderful celebratory things behind the person being taken to the graveyard. And the idea was not just to celebrate, but to kind of confuse any spirits that might be wandering around or trying to wander back. And that translates into other places as well with having a long procession from the home to the graveyard and taking as many turns and twists as possible so that if the spirit did try to find its way back to its home, it would have a more difficult time. And I find that really interesting why the spirit would have to go back in like that exact path, especially if it's like a town that 
you know, they've lived in their whole life, they would have been all over the place, right? Like the idea is you can only, I think you could only maybe walk where you've actually been. So where the body has actually been. But if you had lived there, been there for a while, you'd probably have been all over. But I don't know. The specifics don't matter. <laughs> that is super cool and kind of creepy to think about spirits being able to trace back their last path, so to speak. But who knows? Who knows? So this one I found really, <laughs> really interesting and uh, kind of mean. But anyways, so there is a superstition, and this is American, of course, but this superstition is that flowers or beautiful foliage growing near a headstone means that the person buried there is in heaven, and weeds growing near the headstone mean that the person is in hell. And I don't like this. <laughs> I do not like this belief at all. Um, I have feels about some Christian notions, uh, being a recovering Catholic myself. And I just think this is really unfair. And it all, honestly like kind of harkens to somewhat whispers of, you know, if you were richer, then you probably had somebody to put flowers on your grave or near your grave or to take care of your grave. And if you were poorer, you probably didn't. So it's putting that barrier, making that gap between us and them, so to speak, even bigger, even after death. And that just is just so exhausting. Like, can we just not, can we just leave it after that, you know? But geez, eventually this belief led to flowers near a gravestone, like growing and not necessarily being put there, but flowers growing near a gravestone meant that that person was pure of heart. Because I think people had a lot of the same sentiments as me eventually with this belief, and it just really grew out of favor and instead got translated into flowers growing near a gravestone, meaning a person was pure of heart, which I like that much more. It's still othering of people that don't have flowers growing on their gravestones, but I do like it a lot more. Have you ever considered gravestones and what their purpose actually is? Because I found out that gravestones are actually meant to literally stop the body from rising again. And nowadays we have headstones. We put the stone at the head of the body, but in antiquity, they would put them at the feet and the idea was that the stone would stop the person from rising after death by literally weighing their feet down and it was a little unclear but i think that this practice might have actually started with them putting stones in the coffin with the person and then eventually over time it moved to above ground and we do see some archaeological evidence of that, um, especially in vampire hysteria time periods, because that was a thing. They had a real fear of people coming back from the dead, which is a whole other rabbit hole we could go into, but not today. Sometimes they would even cut off people's feet 
to stop them from rising again. They would also put nails in the palms, feet, and through the heart to stop bodies from being able to rise again. And this is just this is just fascinating that they had such a deep rooted belief that this was possible <laughs> that they took such intense measures because cutting off the feet of your like recently deceased loved one that is so traumatic that is super traumatic right on top of like the trauma and and like grief of the actual death oh my goodness no 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 this so this fear was real and it makes me wonder why it was so real hmm i'm not saying vampires are real but maybe vampires are real <laughs> there's a little bit of evidence and by a little bit i mean a lot of christian writings on the belief that the angel gabriel would as in the bible says the angel gabriel would blow on his horn and call the believers up to heaven um, after the rapture and whatnot. And so eventually gravestones became a way to weigh down or hold the body in place until the right time. And the belief was that the faith and the call of Gabriel would be so strong that they would be able to move the stone when the time came. And those that did not hear the call of Gabriel, would not be able to move the stone, or they wouldn't hear it, what have you. Anyways, moving on from zombies <laughs> and vampires, if you want to go back to the coin thing with me a little bit, so you would leave coins on gravestones as a token of respect, and everything that I found pointed to if you accidentally stepped over a grave, which you're apparently not supposed to do, you are supposed to say, excuse me, and leave a coin on the gravestone of that person you stepped over so that they do not essentially follow you or haunt you or cling on to your energy, which is freaking spooky. Speaking of spirits attaching onto you in a graveyard, never yawn near a grave. Let it be known now, if you yawn near a grave, a spirit might enter your body unbeknownst to you and a possession could take place. Did you know that? I did not know that. But now we know, and now we can be safe. So, don't go sleepy. Drink some iced coffee before you go, okay? Don't whistle in a graveyard, lest ye tempt death himself. That is another one. I personally can't whistle, so I am safe. But all of you listeners who can whistle... Just do it outside of the cemetery and the graveyard and you will be fine. The last superstition that I found was smelling roses near a grave might mean that a benevolent, so a good, spirit is near. Make sure you check that there aren't any actual rose bushes around. And if you do, and there are none, and you smell roses you might have a, uh, a friendly ghost at your shoulder. And you could think that's either really cool or really creepy. I'll leave that up to you. So what I was really interested in learning about cemeteries and graveyards was if there are any like fey creatures or monsters or things like that that are known 
to haunt, so to speak, cemeteries. And ho, 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 there are not many, but what there are, oh my gosh, they are so fascinating. So being first or last in a cemetery, like being first or last to be buried in a cemetery is considered bad luck. And that is because there was a belief that the first person to be buried in a cemetery or graveyard would remain there to become the guardian of that burial ground. So they would often bury animals or vagrants of society like lepers or, you know, hags or, you know, what they would consider witches or, you know, the the undesirables of society. They would bury those people first or they would bury animals, like I said, so that they could be the guardian of the, the burial ground instead of everybody else or anybody else. And um, the ethics of that are questionable. But there you go. However, in England, there is something called a church grim. And if you are a Harry Potter fan, you definitely know what a grim is or what a grim looks like. But if you do not know about the Harry Potter Grimm somehow, let me just tell you, it is a black dog that presides over a graveyard or church. Going back to the burying animals first practice, they would often bury a black dog to become the church Grimm to guard the churchyard or graveyard from those who might commit sacrilege against it, like witches or warlocks or really thieves and vandals and even maybe the devil himself. But there are actual folk tales about church grims, but one in particular references dogs specifically as grims because you can have different kind of animal grims. But the black dog grim is the most prevalent trope that we see. And it hails from England. It hails from Yorkshire, actually, from a folktale called the Devil's Bridge. And this folktale says that long ago, attempts were made to build a bridge that could withstand the fury of the floods that were very common in that area, but none were successful. The devil came along one day and promised to build one bridge that could withstand the floods on one condition. And that condition was that the first living creature that crossed it would serve as a sacrifice and would remain there to watch over the bridge. So, when the bridge was complete, the people gave a long consideration as to who should be the victim. And a shepherd who owned a dog named Grim swam across the river and then whistled for Grim to follow. And Grim went over the bridge and not the river didn't swim through the river, he walked over the bridge, and he became the devil's sacrifice. That bridge then became known as Kilgrim Bridge, like K-I-L-G-R-I-M Bridge, and it was later renamed Kilgram Bridge, which is still there today, and it crosses the River Ure, U-R-E, in North Yorkshire. So, that's really interesting. Um, and also, poor Grim, and screw that shepherd, he did not deserve Grim. In Scandinavian folklore, they have their own version of the church grim, though theirs is uh, not, not a dog, not a dog, though 
there's is also the first creature to be buried on the grounds but it's a little different so rather the animal is intentionally buried in the foundation of the church that is attached to the churchyard so in scandinavian folklore they hold tales of the i'm going to get this name wrong but i'm going to try the knocked crop n-a-c-h-t-k-r-a-p-p or that translates to the night raven the freaking freaking night raven night raven that is so cool just that alone sounds cool these night ravens usually live in a concealed dark place such as a cave or abandoned home or more often in the tall bell tower of a church and when this is the case when they live in the bell tower the night raven is said to ring the church's bell at midnight before taking flight to watch over the graveyard looking for those to cause trouble or those who want to cause trouble and tales of the night raven can be found all over um, but specifically in the czech republic sweden norway poland russia hungary austria and germany they all vary but one thing stays true the night raven has no eyes and to look into the night raven's dark eyeless gaze is to look upon one's own death. So you see into this raven's dark pits of no eyes and you see your own death. That is so freaking cool. That is so freaking cool. Screw my ritual for tonight. Tonight I'm going to go and befriend a night raven. Do you think they like shiny things like re- regular ravens? <laughs> Oh man, if I'm ever written as a villain, I want a horde of these amazing creatures at my back. Like, my villainous choice of execution is just like death by night ravens. That is freaking epic. And I give y'all full permission to use that if you're writers. Just send it to me so I can read it afterwards, okay? Seriously. Death by night ravens. It's gold. In Scotland, they also have a similar idea of uh, some a watcher over of the graveyard or cemetery but it's a little different so in Scotland they believe that whoever is buried there does stay and watch over but they don't stay there forever so they believe that the first person buried there stays until the next person is buried there and then that person stays until the next person and so on and so forth. So whoever is the last person to be buried on that land in that graveyard or cemetery is the forever guardian. And they call this belief the fair Kladach. Sorry if I butchered that. I am I don't speak Gaelic, but that translates to graveyard watch. So I find that to be really interesting as well. I wonder if they get a graveyard watch badge in the afterlife or something. That would be kind of cool. Don't want to be the forever one, though. Unless it's, like, a really beautiful spot in the mountains. Then, like, maybe that's not such a bad job for the afterlife. Because, I don't know. Who knows? Better than, like, walking around aimlessly looking for something but not knowing what. At least you have, like, a purpose, right? I don't know. Sounds interesting to me. Anyways. Graveyards are spooky and beautiful and places out of time and you'll know this if you have ever just been to a graveyard for something other than grief 
Uh, because when you walk into a graveyard, it's a stillness and a quietness that you can, you can feel. And that makes sense. And it makes sense because it's a place that people go to usher loved ones into the next life, whatever that may be. It is a liminal space, which makes graveyards great places for magic. So, you know, not it's not going to be for everybody. It is a specific vibe, and each graveyard does have its own vibe. So, you know, if you're going to go do magic in a graveyard, go and feel it out first. Leave a coin for the guardian. Be respectful. And if it calls to you, you know, maybe try doing a meditation or something there. Or just go for it. Do some magic there. They're also really good places for journaling, art, reading. I do just urge you to follow the rules and observe their hours because yes graveyards are not open all the time most of them close at dusk so just be respectful of that graveyard dirt can be a very valuable tool for all kinds of workings this could be intimidating if you have not done it before or if you are weary of like the darker things but i assure you that as long as you're respectful in your collection of the dirt you will be just fine it's excellent, excellent for use in ancestral work. Taking dirt from the grave of your loved ones to set on your altar can be a freaking wonderful way to honor them or to use as an anchor to them in your ancestral work or at your altar. It can be really excellent to venerate your newly deceased and their new place in the ancestral realm and your ancestral family. If you leave this on your altar for whatever mourning period your culture calls for, once the mourning period is over and you have a really solid link to your ancestors in the ancestral realm, this can be one of the strongest divination tools you can have. Not only linking you to whomever you have collected the dirt from, but also your whole lineage on that side of your family. It's extremely powerful in my opinion. Only second to like actual hair or clothing they were wearing from their time of death. Alternatively, if you don't know your birth family, you can collect dirt from a cemetery or graveyard that calls to you or from your birthplace and do the same thing. Put it at your altar for whatever mourning period and just ask your ancestors to bless that dirt and that will also serve as an anchor just like I mentioned before. Graveyard dirt can be excellent for the more gray areas of magic, such as banishments, bindings, jinxes, hexes, curses, etc. I say gray because I myself see the value of these things, and I personally believe that calling them dark could be directly othering to the practice of many witches, and I never want to do that. My personal practice is not against offensive magic and to each their own, so we don't judge here. This is a safe place. However, if you like the term dark magic, like me, I, I definitely fall into this category. Um, because sometimes, as a woman, the darkness has been a place that I have had to go to a couple of times. And reclaiming dark magic as a thing of power has been really integral to my personal spiritual path and my own journey with shadow work. And I feel like, as a woman, the darkness is something that we are not supposed to talk about within ourselves. The primal power that we have within is something that we have been cut off from 
within society, at least we are supposed to seem like we are cut off from it for far too long. And that is just not my bag. It's not my cup of tea. Um, And I personally find power in using the term dark magic. Some things I do consider gray, though. And in general conversation... (laughs) I am going to say gray magic and always leave that open and safe because in my opinion that is safe and there are so many facets of offensive and defensive magic it can be kind of jarring for some people to hear dark magic and I don't ever want to other people like I said so what you do with your magic not my business and I'm not going to judge you on that, and I would ask the same there. Anyways, rant aside, I get fired up about this stuff sometimes, and I would love to talk more about jinxes and hexes and curses and, you know, the morality and where they play into different uh, practices and different cultures and just take a deep dive into that, but that will be another time because right now we're talking about graveyard dirt. So... It can also be used in lots of good things, like, well, oh man, I just othered, didn't I? Not, there's no such thing as good and bad, but for the purpose of this conversation, good, quote, unquote, good stuff, um, safe stuff, that's what I mean by good here in this circumstance, like protection spells, door opener spells, mediumship, divination, working with underworld deities. There are so many uses for graveyard dirt and they fall into so many different pots, honestly. The cauldron bubbles for many, many, many different places of magic for graveyard dirt. And this episode is already really long and we could go into different kinds of protection spells and door opening spells and divination tactics with graveyard dirt. But I will leave some resources in the show notes below for those who want to learn more about using graveyard dirt or who want to learn more about the gray side of magic. There are some really wonderful books out there that will teach you everything you need to know to get started at least. And I do want to put a disclaimer here. If you are interested in jinxes and hexes and curses and bindings and things of that nature, I implore you to find actual resource material, tangible resource material, or a mentor to learn gray magic from. Please, 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 please do not start looking at gray magic from TikTok. TikTok is extremely problematic when it comes to learning magic for many different reasons because magic has so many elements so many basic things that you need in place that you need to have mastered before you start doing gray magic in my own personal opinion for your safety so please 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 look into tried and true sources authors, and mentors if you want to get into that, please, for your safety. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Take it or leave it. I will leave resources in the show notes below, okay? All right. 
For now, I am going to leave you with a very simple spell for your usage in protecting yourself or your home using graveyard dirt. Bonus points if you get your graveyard dirt from a crossroads in a graveyard. That is super extra potent for many reasons that we will go to in the Hecate episode that is coming up soon. So make sure you look out for that. All right. So first and foremost, you want to collect your dirt in whatever size jar you have. It could be a jar that you will put in your kitchen like a kitchen jar like an empty spaghetti jar or whatever kind of jar you want or it could even be like something small like one of those small potion jars that people wear on their necks like mini jars whatever size jar you have fill it halfway and make sure (laughs) as we learned before whichever graveyard or cemetery you collect your dirt from do not forget to leave a coin at the exit for the guardian Do not forget to leave a coin. We want to be safe. We want to be honorable. We want to have respect for the guardian of the cemetery we're at. So the rest, after you've collected your dirt, can be done at home or you can do it in the graveyard. But I always call a circle no matter what kind of work I'm doing. I always call a circle, but if you don't, that is your prerogative. I think circles are extremely important especially if you are just starting a magical journey. If you have not absolutely 100% mastered visualization and intention, you need to call a circle. And that is because when you call a circle, you are essentially honing in your magic to that specific point and you are in a way fine tailoring it. Because your magic is this huge big force, right? And you don't want to just release it into the world. You want it to be focused on what you're doing right there. So that is why you call a circle to contain that magic and make sure that it all goes to your focus. That is what a circle is for. So it's your prerogative, but I do suggest calling a circle no matter what. And it doesn't have to be super elaborate. You can just walk a circle around whatever working space you have and that is good enough. Again, I will be doing a whole episode on circles and their importance and you can go so deep into calling circles and their folklore and their history have a lot of really rich history. We'll go into that on the circles episode and I know I've said it a bunch of times. Just keep an eye out for that. Circle 102 is coming, I promise. All right, so you've collected your jar, you've collected your dirt and filled it halfway, you've left a coin for the cemetery's guardian. Now what? I suggest for extra protection, popping in some crushed eggshells into your jar on top of your graveyard dirt, or you can mix it in if you would like. After that, you're going to get a stone of protection and a stone of grounding. They can be the same thing. There are many stones that do both, uh, but you could do two, you could do one, you could do multiple, whatever feels good to you. I suggest stones that are dark, such as onyx, black tourmaline, obsidian, smoky quartz, or my personal favorite for this, bloodstone. Uh, I don't see people talk about bloodstone very often, but it's super wonderful stone to work with, very... um, open to pretty much anyone's energy in my opinion and extremely 
strong stone. Great for shadow work and protection work. Really, really, really strong energy, just ready to be used. Anyways, after you put your stones in your jar, you want to make sure you seal the jar. So you can do this with wax or magic or both. And if you don't know how to seal with magic, a simple whisper into the jar's lid or cap will work. And I suggest whispering something like, your contents are known to none but me, is only I that holds the key. Or if that doesn't feel good to you, you could just whisper, you are sealed, and that works just as well. Because your breath is magic, everything about you is magic, you are a tool within itself, so within yourself, so make sure you're utilizing that. A great way to work with your intention and work with making your intention stronger is to incorporate breath into your magic so you start really feeling confident in your intention and you have something that you can feel like your breath you can feel when you breathe out with intention and that just grows your confidence when you do that and it gives you something to hold on to so to speak anyways seal the jar and then you are going to either recite a spell activating this jar's protection and if you are doing this at a graveyard you can ask the graveyard's guardian to bless it though I only suggest doing this if you have called a circle please do not do this if you have not called a circle because you pose the risk of opening the door to a lot of different entities and energies if you do not if you call a circle, that magical barrier is there, and only what you've called will be able to pass through. You could also ask your deities to bless it, your ancestors, or you could call up protective energy through your feet from the earth into the jar. Make sure you're keeping your intention of protection clear as a bell in your mind. So if it's going in your home, make sure you have that in your mind. If you're going to wear it, make sure you have that in your mind. If you'd like a simple spell to do this, activation or charging of your jar I have one for you here all right so the spell is as follows three by three this protection be and then you blow three breaths onto the jar two by two I activate and blow two breaths onto the jar one by one the deed is done and blow one final breath or you could write your own, whatever. Whatever feels good. And then you are going to set your jar wherever you feel is best in your home. In a closet by a door is good or somewhere by a doorway that sees the most traffic. Or if you're gonna wear it, obviously that is what you're gonna do. So that's all you gotta do. I hope this has given you some ideas to use graveyard dirt or at least shed some light on Something that is not really talked about in magical practices often, be it gray magic or just cemeteries themselves. I hope you enjoyed learning about some graveyard superstitions and some of the creatures that inhabit graveyards and cemeteries. I know I had a great time. And thank you for being here. Happy spooky season. Halloween is almost here. I do have a extra episode coming out this month. It will be on or the day after Halloween because my son will be with me and we have some fun Halloween stuff planned but I do have 
a very special Halloween episode coming for you guys, and it is going to be the start of a series that we will be doing through Christmas. I'm very excited about this series. It's something really close to my heart, and I cannot wait to see you there. So, I'm going to grab my broomstick and fly away, but thank you so much for joining me once again around the Balefire. See you next time.